This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. The deal you've been waiting for is on now. Ford employee pricing. Details at MetroMotors.com. Time to go rink-wide on TSN 1040. Now, here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Wadden. Yeah, welcome to Rink-Wide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside J.D. Burke here. Two hours of the best hockey talk in the city. J.D., we got a jam-packed show as we always do. Wait, 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 wait. Before what, what, we get what, to the what, show. What, you're watching golf. What's up? I'm not watching golf. You what? love golf. Do I look 60? No. Uh, there is a sign. There's a piece of paper uh. pinned <laughs> to our wall that says, please do not feed the birds. Can you explain that to oh, me? Oh, come on. As if you don't know what this is all about. Like, because Sakaris is the eagle or whatever? You did not see that photo of Sakaris that was surfacing around the internet? Oh, God. That broke the internet here in Vancouver? That broke my psyche. Yeah, exactly. Like, like I need new retinas because of that. Yeah. Yeah, Bruff being like, let's let's break this down. No, let's not. Like, yeah. Let's it, not. Bruff is the guy. Anyway, for those that don't know, Matt, Sakaris is on vacation up until mid-next week. Oh. And he's in Florida. There's a photo of him that was put out on the internet by his significant other. And it's him shirtless. <laughs> with <laughs> with a bunny on his on his belly like and there's all kinds of it's like a where's waldo in terms of the things that you can point out i've never in the felt photo. better about my figure <laughs> <laughs> and one of the particulars in the photo is there's a sign behind it that said uh do not feed the birds and you know it's hilarious because twitter sometimes you know, there's a love-hate with Twitter. Sometimes I just absolutely love it. And some of the replies, because Bruff, of course, had to retweet it. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the replies was, who keeps feeding the bird? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Maddie. Oh, it was good I'm stuff. Not. It was good stuff. So that's why that sign is there. We did our show video the other day, and we put that in there for, for dramatic effect. Mm. Uh, but you know who else is going to give us uh, some dramatic effect? Our guest list today, uh, JD. We're going to talk to Danielle Huntley. She is the most recent um, reporter that is involved with the Botchford Project. I'm going to yep. get you to explain the Botchford Project uh, for those that don't know. Well, it's, it's a mentorship program where aspiring young writers get the opportunity to submit an application to the Vancouver Canucks, at which point they review the field and they determine who is going to be available for a, I believe it is once a month, opportunity to spend a day at Canucks game day skate, uh, the actual game itself, they get a press pass, they get to sit in the, the press box, as it were, they get to be mentored by the likes of Travis Drance and Harmon Dial, the rest of the Vancouver Beat, and they get to write an article that will appear on Canucks.com, and it's a really special opportunity for aspiring reporters, and I think it's a really important way for us to carry the torch as it relates to, to Jason Botchford's legacy, because I think the thing that stands out for me the most about Botch, aside from all the trauma from his yelling, was what a fantastic mentor he was uh, and, and the, the extent to which he made himself available and accessible to others. And so we're trying to carry that forward as best we can. Uh, big, big do of kudos to Thomas Drance for, for starting the project, for seeing it through. Uh, kudos to the Athletic Vancouver as well. And massive kudos to the Canucks for helping facilitate it. It's, it's a three-pronged approach. Everybody all hands on deck. And it's great to see that they're not just I mean, this is what I like, and, and it's, it's International Women's Day, I think, on Monday, right? No, Sunday. Sunday, okay. Yeah. Well, 
this isn't the first woman that they've had involved in the program. And I'm looking forward to talking to Danielle Huntley about her experience as a female reporter in a white, male, old, conservative field. Right. It's it's a different experience and the the amount of vulnerability that one opens themselves up to in a field like this. I mean, I, I think we take it for granted as men in this industry with with. I mean, some of the DMs I've seen from my female well, friends in this industry, right? Like, I had I had Sarah Sivian on earlier yeah. from The Athletic in, in Carolina. and She's the best. The reason the why I got her on like, wasn't particularly to talk about the hurricanes because she's very active on social media, and, and especially she doesn't hold back. And I, like, she puts people on blast that, you know, attack her because of the fact that she's a female working in hockey and 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 i love the way she did it and that's what i wanted to talk to her about and i want to see more of that in terms of more female reporters more females just getting involved with hockey Mm -hmm. whether it's broadcasting reporters whatever and less guys being absolute dinks about it like you you know what i mean like women can talk hockey oh yeah (laughs) like we all watch the game if you got good analysis, you got good analysis. Yeah, right. And yeah, well, well, think about the way that the industry bends over backwards to to make a create or sorry to create a make work program for former players. I mean, you cannot tell me that media is a meritocracy. You cannot tell me that the media field is valued based on what you bring to the table because currently it's not, and that has yeah. left out women from the process. It's left out people of color from the process. It has left people out from the LGBTQ plus community. In the process, and I'm glad that the Botchford project is yeah. taking that on at, at, at full speed, right? Absolutely. So, uh, a great example a... of that being Daniel Huntley. Back to Sarah Sivian, I yeah. will I will die for that woman. Just, just want to <laughs> specify, we we are very good friends. Uh, you clip that and send it to her there, yeah. Croker. <laughs> no, I, I've told actually you I that. mentioned your name because we did we canned up the interview because we couldn't do it live because the Carolina Hurricanes are yeah. playing this morning. So we did it yesterday, and I did mention to her that I said, you know what, Sarah, I think you've been on Rinkwide with JD Burke and myself, and she was like, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. As soon as I dropped your name, yeah, you know. We we let's just say that we had a fantastic time at the draft last oh, year. Good, good. good. Uh, so yeah, Danielle Huntley, uh, the um, recent Boshford Project uh, reporter, I guess you could say. We've also had Chris Faber on, who was also uh, uh, a Botchford. of Canucks conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he also did the uh, the Botchford Project as well. Harmon Dahl's going to join us in the second hour. He's a regular here. We basically use Drance and, and Harmon as our guys here. Uh, back and forth. So you guys know Harmon, uh, what he's all about from the Athletic uh, in Vancouver. I want to talk to him about his road trip. I mean, Harmon's new on the beat and was able to do an Eastern road trip. So he went through the, you know, hockey cathedrals that are, you know, the Air Canada Center in Toronto or Sco- think- Scotiabank Arena. Oh my God, I always get it wrong. Oh! And I think the, the really the cool thing about this trip for Belson. Harmon is he's so young. When he goes to Quebec, when he goes to Montreal, and he goes to Le Centre Belle, mm. He actually is allowed to drink in that province, right? And I'm not sure if that's actually a thing in Vancouver. No, he's 19 now. Yeah, I know. He's 19 now. <laughs> Might even be 20. Uh, Aaron Portsline uh, from The Athletic in Columbus is going to join us in the second hour as well. We'll get the, uh, the CBJ side of things uh, from Aaron. Um, interesting for Columbus as now they're the guys that have the back-to-back uh, whereas it was the Canucks last weekend, and we all know how that went down. Uh, four goals in the third period after being up uh, three goal one. Big tug at the collar on that one. Yeah, oh, well, I mean, they listen, and uh, so that's that's our guest for today. So let, let let's talk about these Canucks though, because you know a very good bounce back win last night. If you told me that um, that the Canucks were going to win that game this week, I, I would have questioned it because 
you know, the Avalanche are that kind of team. They're a team like that in terms of they're really good. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know who's not a team like that anymore? The Vancouver Canucks. Check their Twitter bio. They are no longer a team like that. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, exactly. I, you know what's funny, though, is is after the Canucks lost all those very winnable games for circumstances sometimes beyond their control, unless you want to blame them for the performances of Domingue and Demko, Yeah. I, I kind of said to one of my friends, he's like, how do you think the Canucks are going to lose tonight? And I'm like, you know what? It would make the absolute least sense that the one game they we, they win out of this <laughs> string was the Colorado Avalanche. So, yeah. you know what? Book it. Yeah. Bet on it. They're going to win tonight. All right. Uh, let's drop the puck. Time to drop the puck and get updated on the top stories of the past week. Okay, so, like, you really cannot talk sports right now without touching on the coronavirus. Uh, we had some people throughout the week in the inbox kind of wanting to deny everything, the hysteria, as uh, still a line from Gary Bettman there, but like, it's for real here, and we're starting to see it with the NHL as well. There was a report out that uh, NHL has, I'm trying to find it now, with the Frank Valley one. Um, we have it on our Twitter here somewhere. Here it is. Uh, starting today, NHL plans to close dressing room access to media on recommendation of the Centers for Disease Control in an effort to stop the spread of the coronavirus. NBA, MLB, MLS are expected to follow. Media availabilities will now be conducted in formal press conference areas. Uh, that the, sucks. The NBA uh, also put out a, a release saying that, or a memo saying uh, to all its teams, saying that you know there, there's a chance that we're going to be playing games. With no fans there, LeBron James came out and said, well, I'm not playing if there's no fans there. They're already doing that in Italy. Yeah, they're already doing it overseas. Um, again, this is a story that you know, some people want to deny, but when, this, when the centers of disease control are coming out and saying you know, these sort of things, I, I, I tend to lean with, yeah, maybe we should do something here. Um, but did you? I don't know if you saw the release from the Canucks. I have not. The Canucks released a statement, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically saying that, you know, we're taking all the measurements to uh, make sure everybody has access to hand sanitizer, uh, you know, places to clean your hands. Uh, They're keeping the uh, arena staff is is on top of keeping the arena clean, et cetera, et cetera, but basically saying that they will still be open for business. Yeah, I I think a a follow-up report on the NHL's press release came from a friend of the show and friend of John Tortorella's Larry Brooks, uh, I think he put out a memo suggesting that it was actually up to the teams. So that was a recommendation on the part of the NHL, and each individual team will have to determine its strategy in concordance with that recommendation and the recommendations of local health officials. Uh, it, you know what? When I say it sucks, I'm talking about the circumstances. I'm not talking about the decision uh, to take the necessary precautions to avoid the spread of this virus. And I know a lot of us are going to look at this and go, well, I, I mean most people in the sports demographic would fall into that age group where there is a very, very low mortality rate, right? We're talking fewer than 2%. Now, the problem isn't necessarily that the people susceptible to this virus in these environments are, are, going, to be, are going to succumb to a fatality. It's that they are transmitters of the virus for the elderly, for children, for the type of people who are at risk when it comes to the coronavirus. I mean... Uh, it's it's really unfortunate, and and the IIHF they actually just camp canceled the Women's World Cup uh, this morning, and I'm pretty sure we're supposed to find out by about March 22nd. But I'm anticipating that they will decide against hosting the U18 tournament this year, 
which again, not complaining about the decision, complaining about the circumstances is a massive bummer for anybody in the scouting community of which I am nominally, nominally a part. Yeah. Uh, Travis, uh, Travis, what? I almost said Travis Drance. <laughs> and the thing is, is that there's two people in the inbox right now. Sam in Vancouver, Travis Drance, so JD, I guess he actually, he gets it. Yeah. But there's another guy, it's unsigned, saying E and O. I love how Arizona Omissions has now become a part of, like, you know, it's, anyway. Uh, sign your text, <laughs> sign your, people. I uh, was saying Travis Drance. It's an inside joke between JD and Thomas Drance. But Thomas Drance, uh, of course, uh, from The Athletic, uh, just tweeted, the NHL hasn't sent a memo to executives and PR directors with guidelines for closed rock locker room media availabilities. That could come on Monday. For the moment, I'm told Canucks, Canucks PR are planning to hold media availability in the ordinary course until directed otherwise. So, do you think that the Canucks as an order are taking a similar approach to the, the Trump administration? So second in command, yeah. second in command handles this. So he hands it off to John Weisbrod and this falls under his purview. I don't want to go down this road with you, JD. What? That's <laughs> <laughs> your fight to fight. It's not for me. I, I'm just making it. I, I get it. I get it. But I, I just know the way the, the inbox will blow up as soon as you say the T word. Right. So, yeah. okay. Um, yeah. Get the whistle there. Thank you. Uh, Jim Little, CEO or former CEO of the Ottawa Senators, gets canned, uh, what, eight weeks under the job by Eugene Malnick. Um, there's varying reports on what the argument was about. Apparently, Jim Little and Eugene Malnick getting into an argument where uh, Jim Little, well, essentially lost his cool, said some things that, um, uh, well, he regrets, at least now. But let's look at the big picture of what this is. Like, the Ottawa Senators are an absolute mess. Like, who would want to work for Eugene Melnick right now um, it, for a team that, a Canadian team, is has the worst attendance in the entire NHL right now? Well, it's, it's easy to understand why. I mean, anybody who follows Jeff Patterson, uh, especially on Instagram, I think when the Canucks were doing that recent road trip, he was looking at the... Uh, surrounding environment of the arena and there is absolutely nothing there right like that arena is in the middle of nowhere it's completely inaccessible by transit i mean what do they expect and and the really interesting thing about this is just like you said who wants to work for eugene melnick how do you replace a jim little and you know what i think about is is when they had that recent search for a president somebody to uh take on that responsibility on top of the role that Pierre Dorian plays as their general manager. And I, I thought it was really, really funny when about three months into the search, they put out a press release and they're like, mm, on second thought, we don't really need a president. On second thought, we realize that a president wants to get paid and then we changed our mind is more likely. So uh, one of the cheapest organizations in sport, there is a rumor going around, don't quote me on this, a rumor suggesting that the origins of the dispute uh, related to a... I believe they shared a dinner together. And, and the company credit card? Yes, yeah. and Jim Little used the company credit card. The senators carry a policy where no tips are to be paid above and beyond 8% <laughs> on the company 8%. credit card, which is less than half of what I usually tip. Oh I mean, my. I'm not a multimillionaire, granted. Either uh, is Eugene Melnick from the sounds of things. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know what? Maybe Eugene Melnick is is one of my class allies, and I just never knew it. I got I got to introduce this guy to Marx. But no, <laughs> but uh, no, it's it's really funny just to imagine that that is the the source of the dispute. And you think about how hard it is to find people who want to work in that organization, and the fact that Eugene Melnick yeah. would fire him over being sworn at. I mean, just what absolute infant stuff. I almost had a swear there because it's just like it 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 boggles the mind. I like I can't imagine ever wanting that level of deference. I mean, just absolute infant stuff. And and the thing is too is that like if you look at the Senators as a whole, I mean, you know, they were what a goalpost away from going to the uh, Stanley Cup final a few years ago, and they followed it up now with some, you know, thir- I believe it's thirty first, thirtieth, or twenty ninth this year. But if you look at them as a whole right now. Like they're kind of in a good spot. They've got a ton of draft picks. They've got three first round picks this year. One of them, of course, is theirs, but the yeah. other one is the San Jose Sharks. They can have two picks in the top ten easily. Good. The other one's the Islanders. Now it's the Islanders is protected, but it's like a top three protected. Top three, that, yeah. that ain't happening, right? Like the Islanders are, you know, almost a playoff team right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got four second round picks, two third round picks. And then they've got uh, between the fourth and seventh, they've got four more picks between the fourth round and seventh round. I mean, they're, they've got themselves in a position right now where they've got a good rebuild going. They've got a good little oh, yeah. crop of young players as well. Um, you know, The only thing they're missing is that Elias Pettersson caliber talent. Right, sure. like they've got one, of and the, they might get it this year. They you know, might Quinton Byfield, perhaps. Yep, Alexi or, Lafreniere. or Lafreniere. I mean, like that's the only thing missing right now from their rebuild. They've probably got the deepest prospect pool in hockey, but that's just about all they're missing at this point. But like, seriously, like, I mean, uh, the the thing is, they'll lose a Lafreniere when they have to pay him. But <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. That's what I want to say. Like Lafreniere, like you know, this is this. I don't know how you're, you're more ingrained in the prospects. Is he a game changer type? Oh player? yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So like to, for him to go to Ottawa, I was like, oh man, like. Oh, well, he's I'm, only going to Ottawa for three years, okay. and then at the end of his ELC, that guy is gone. <laughs> the thing is, it's probably true. That's. I that, mean, that's who knows? <laughs> they might not even sign him to an ELC yeah. because of bonuses. Watch they <laughs> watch they don't draft him. Like, yeah, I don't know, man. This guy might be a little too expensive down the road. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Philadelphia Flyers, I've been pumping the tires of the Philadelphia Flyers over, well, the last few days, really, on the station. But really today, uh, I, you, you you know how I feel about Elan Vigneault. I think he's one of the best coaches in the league. I, I like yep. him as a person as well. Every time I've had to deal with Elan, he's just been nothing but a gentleman. Um, but the Philadelphia Flyers, man, they are flying up the uh, Metropolitan. They've won eight straight. They've won nine of their last ten. They were tied with the into today but the caps have beaten the penguins now so they do you know who got... they have more points then well a lot of teams yeah yeah the toronto maple leafs no what's really interesting how is that relevant to piss you off okay but how is that relevant like it's not it's that's this is low-hanging fruit yeah. why do you you always go to the low-hanging fruit oh yeah your nickname should be low-hanging fruit no my nickname is chady l h f no, that's, that's, like, that's so lame. You, no, you can't embrace the name. That's I don't like that. What do you mean I can't embrace anyway. the name? Anyway, anyway, let's talk about the Flyers. 51.2% Corsi 4 percentage. Top 10 in the league. Their underlying profile suggests that they deserve to be putting up points to the extent that they do. And they're getting goaltending for once, which is a bit of a rarity in Philadelphia. I mean, uh, Carter Hart, man, he's he's worth every every penny on that ELC. And that's that's kind of been the difference. In yeah. years past, they've performed well at 5-on-5, five five, but they haven't been able to get a save. 
Well, they can now, and that's that's making a huge difference. Who's the better? Who's the best goalie in the NHL right now? Are we still on the John Gibson? I mean, like because Carter Hart might be. No, Carter Hart isn't. I don't think so. But like the the issue with John Gibson is he's having a really bad year. But if you extrapolate everything other than that, then it's he's the easy answer. Yeah, like like, like who else? Yeah, you know, I I think it's it's John Gibson without question. Connor Hellebuck too. Throw his name in that hat. Okay, this is interesting. This just came into the inbox from Steve O and Kits. I don't think it's Steve O from the Jackass, but could be wrong. Uh, the Canucks released a statement for the sake of releasing a statement. I went to the game last night, and the 119 section men's bathroom was out of paper towels from the start of the third period onward. So, something to keep your eye on there with the way the Canucks uh, are dealing with it. I mean, probably one, more people than usual are yes, actually washing their hands. But because... they did put out a statement saying, we are going to be on top of these types of things. Yeah, and, I, and I would Steve anticipate. Steve O's pointing it out right now, so. I would anticipate that they'll make the, the necessary moves. I would hope so. I just hope they're not, you know, just about doing their business because they don't want to, you know, not get the business. Yeah. You know, and that's, don't get me wrong, the rest of the NHL still hasn't followed suit just yet, but I just, I just hope we get on top of this before, you know, things get out of, get out of control. Yep. Right? Okay, on the other side, we're going to talk to Danielle Huntley uh, from the Botchford Project. Uh, she's going to fill us in on everything that she's doing. Canucks uh, Army, too. Canucks Army as well, and uh, and let us know exactly uh, what she's doing and what she's focusing on uh, while she is a part of the Botchford Project. It's rink-wide. It's the show that always scores, and it's right here on TSN 1040. This is Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Watton. Welcome back to Rink Wide. It's a show that always scores. Andrew Watton, J.D. Burke with you here. Going to talk to Danielle Huntley in just a moment. Get you caught up on what's happening with the Botchford Project. And if you don't know what the Botchford Project is all about, well, we'll let Danielle explain it. Uh, a tweet that came in, Rob Rossi, of course, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins beat reporter as the um, Penguins have just finished their game, or they finished the game about a half an hour ago with Washington losing 5-2. to two. Sidney Crosby said it absolutely would be odd if NHL games were played in empty buildings. We've discussed this kind of situation and, you know, been brought up to speed in what's going on, but I haven't given any thought to that. Couldn't give you an opinion either way. That's pretty classic Sidney Crosby uh, right there, but uh, it's telling. And it's upon us, J.D. We could be seeing empty stadiums played in major sports here in North America. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, an, an interesting wrinkle, to say the least. I, I just don't even know what to make of that. It's just so beyond anything that I've ever seen. But I'm assuming that the TV will still happen, right? Like One will, would have to would think. have to be. It would like would they have the cameraman in like hazmat suits or something? Like, well, okay. how, how would they do this? I don't want to seem flippant because I take this all very seriously, and this is usually where Trevor has a sniper take me out or cut my mic. But hear me out on this one. Oh boy! No, no, no! Hear me out on this one. How dark humor here? How how funny would it be if after all these years where we've posited that the Canucks refused to rebuild I know where you're going. because they wanted playoff <laughs> revenue and they finally make the playoffs <laughs> and they can't get their playoff revenue. See, that wasn't so bad. That wasn't so bad. Trust me, it's crossed my mind. 
It has crossed my mind, right. and it made me think you just that lack the conviction it, to. It, it made me think that you know, would the ownership group even care about playoffs? Anyway, let's not go down that road. No, let's not. Let's welcome uh, Danielle Huntley to the program. She is the most recent recipient of a nomination for the Botchford Project. She is going to be at the game tomorrow night to cover the Columbus Blue Jackets against the Vancouver Canucks. She is a writer for Canucks Army and has her own blog. Danielle, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Okay, Danielle, so uh, tomorrow being International Women's Day, of course, we've been talking about women that are working in hockey, and so just want to get your sort of background and your story. Uh, what drew you to want to work into hockey? Did you play the game growing up, or, or is it just something that you've uh, always been fascinated about? I didn't play it growing up, but it's something I've always been fascinated about since I was a little kid. I've be, I'm actually pretty obsessed with it. And I always, it always bothered me in this market how there's not really any women writers. I always bitched about it. So I thought, why not give it a shot myself? And that's what I did. And what, what has your experience been like getting into the industry? I mean, you, you write at Canucks Army now. You're building a, a fairly large following. And with that comes a certain sense of, as I described it earlier, sense of vulnerability, as, as is the case with anybody who has a public profile. What has that been like for you? What has your experience been? It's actually been pretty good. At first, there was a, a few negative comments right in my DMs right away about my credentials, what am I doing, stuff like that. But I just kind of ignored it and just went with it because it's what I wanted to do. And Jackson from Canucks Army reached out to me, and he's been so wonderful and so helpful along the way. And that's been a really positive experience, actually. And I've had a lot of wonderful feedback from people, too. Uh, Danielle, so what exactly are you, what, what approach are you going to take for your story for the Botchford Project uh, tomorrow? I'm going to be doing a piece on Jake Bertanen and his year he's had this year. I'm going to try and sit down with a few with him and a couple of his teammates and see what they think how he's improved this year and how he feels about his game this year compared to last year. Have you been at, at all involved in terms of, have you, is this be your first experience in the press box? Will be your first experience in the uh, dressing room with the guys? Yes, definitely. And um, so, you know, like, what's your approach going to be for this? You know, like some guys come in all cool, collective on it, or you, you think you're going to be a little bit nervous with this, or do you, you feel like you got your ducks in a row and you're ready that to go That was my out? approach. I was the guy with the Yeah, because we hand. all are. We yeah, all yeah, are. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? We have to admit it. Like, there, I remember having my, my mic oh, in, yeah, in, yeah. in the, now mind you, it's because your arm is kind of dangling there. For no, a while, no, no. For me, it's just anxiety. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm ready to puke by the end of every question. <laughs> but, uh, what's your approach going to be? Yeah. <laughs> I, I've taken a lot of notes and I have a lot of questions prepared. To so, because I am a bit nervous for sure, just to help me prepare and be ready. It'll be different, obviously, when I'm in front of them, I feel like, but having notes and questions ahead of time will help me, I feel like. Well, just don't do what I did, which was in... Don't Brock- do anything that JD has done throughout his career, in fact. <laughs> hey, I'm a favorite at 1040, so my record speaks for itself. But just don't do what I do with, or what I did with Travis Green. I remember in my first year, I showed up late to a post-game press conference, and I asked about Brock Besser, and uh, it's it's very rare that I actually got a question out because I was so shy about it all. And, you know, Travis, I uh, actually answered that question <laughs> At the beginning of the presser. Um, no, you've been making some, some really salient points in some of your post-game coverage about the Canucks and the way that they have deployed their top six forward group, the way that they've deployed their bottom six forward group. And I think that one of the things that stuck out to me 
was that you made the case using some underlying data that Louis Erickson in the top six isn't quite as egregious as one might assume, given the circumstances that beset the Canucks. Uh, do you want to take us through the calculus for that analysis and, and perhaps some of the numbers that informed your position there? For sure. So basically, I just I was on natural statric and I compared the line of Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson with Jake Bertanen and then with Louis Erickson. And Louis Erickson actually is more sound defensively, obviously, but offensively, his numbers are much better. His Corsi 4 percentage is better, his shots 4 percentage, projected goals for, scoring chances, high danger chances. Surprisingly, Louis Erickson is a better fit than Jake Bertanen. Wow, interesting. I would have not thunk that myself, I mean, especially with seeing that the way Jake Furtanen has played with them uh, recently. But then you look at last night's game and you look at the, the little things that Louie did and able to seal the victory uh, for the Canucks. We're talking to Danielle Huntley uh, from Canucks Army. Uh, Danielle, what was your relationship, if at, at all, uh, with Botchford, with Jason Botchford? And um, sort of what sort of influence uh, did Botch have on you? I never knew him directly, but I read all his work. I was very passionate about hockey and he had he understood this market and related to us and I felt like he really got it and I just felt like just inspired by him and what it's about an uh, honor oh sorry go ahead uh, it's an honor to be chosen to represent the Botchford project under his name it really means a lot to me and what about for yourself now as you, of course, progress yourself through uh, the Botchford Project here, working with Canucks Army? Um, what's the future for, for Danielle Huntley? I'm going to keep at this for sure. I'm really enjoying it, and I'm going to take some courses in the summer to better myself at writing because I don't have the most experienced writing. But it's something I'm definitely going to push forward with, and I'm enjoying it, and especially writing for Canucks Army. It's been great. All right, Danielle, we'll appreciate that, and uh, good luck with the story tomorrow, and enjoy the, just absorb it all, because it is overwhelming at first, but it's a heck of a good time as well, so I uh, look forward to reading your piece, and uh, look forward to reading some more of your stuff on Canucks Army. Awesome, thank you guys so much. Danielle Huntley from Canucks Army, the Botchford Project. What, it's such a cool project. The funny, it really the, the, is. the thing that I like about the people that have been tapped on the shoulder to do the, is that even though they're new in the business, they're they're pretty polished already. You know, oh, and yeah. These I mean, guys you look are... at the likes of like a, a David Quadrelli yeah. or a Chris uh, Faber. Chris Faber. I mean, yeah. these are people that have experience. Or Stephen Hawko from yeah. the Dub Network. I yeah. mean, uh, I I like that it's people who take it seriously. Yeah, and these you know, are the, these and, and are Robin the... Horner as well. Another uh, yeah. female from from BCIT. Another woman from BCIT. Rather, I don't yeah. know why I said that so stilted. It's okay. Anyway. No, it's it's really fantastic to see that the the reception to that project has been what it is. The feedback that some of the young writers have given from that project, and the way that there's a buy-in at every level. Yeah, it's fantastic. Ne next generation of uh, uh, Canucks uh, scribes and uh, perhaps even broadcasters as well. I know where I sit in the press box when I'm up there, uh, two seats down from our uh, our fallen colleague and. Uh, they're going to enjoy themselves, and, yeah. and that's uh, that's the best part of the whole thing. And you know, covering hockey at the end of the day, it's uh, it's a dream job, and uh, for some people just to get a taste of it, uh, pretty cool thing. On the other side, JD's manifesto. What do you got for us this week? I think I'm going to talk about the goaltending. All right, that's on the other side. Rink wide, the show that always scores. TSN 1040. 
You're listening to Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Wadden. Welcome back to Rink Wide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden, J.D. Burke here with you up until 3 o'clock. If you missed any of the show so far, we'll have it up in podcast form at the end of the show. Jason Croker, of course, our producer, will have it up in a timely fashion, as he always does here, J.D., you can check it out uh, where you find your pod, TSN, uh, 1040.ca. Uh, uh, J.D., uh, it's not necessarily hockey-related, but I did put out a poll question today that, well, it's centered around the Canucks, at least. And uh, Wouldn't get, that make it hockey-related? Well, sort of, but the rest of it's not, though. Okay, because the Canucks are off tonight. It's a rare Saturday night where you don't have any Canucks hockey on TV. So I asked uh-huh. the people during Sports Saturday, and I want to get your thoughts on this as well. How are you spending your Saturday night without the Canucks? And I gave four options. Watching the Whitecaps. Mm-hmm. I guess this does relate to NHL. NHL scoreboard watching, mm-hmm. which we're doing right now. Yep. Going to Rugby Sevens, which I guess you're not because you're here. So let's take that one off the board. Or are you taking the night off of sports? What does J.D. Burke do on a Saturday night without the Canucks? Uh, well, J.D. Burke enjoys a much-needed break. I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but being J.D. Burke is a lot of work. No, 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 I'm not even being a dink right now. Okay. It's, it's a, <laughs> my job takes like 10 to 12 hours out of every day. So I'm so gladly... Like a normal human being, so okay. Oh, come off it. 10 to 12 hours is a normal day? You're going to talk to me about long working? Cause no, but somebody I actually care about, maybe. <laughs> Someone whose opinion matters, perhaps. Uh, guys, we do have a final. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, we have a final. Uh, Predators have beat the Stars one nothing. So uh, as we refresh the NHL standings, that puts the Preds now tied with the Canucks with 76 points. Uh, and the Winnipeg Jets as well. It's a log jam, put it that way. Sure is. It's kind of cool. I like it, though. I love scoreboard watching. You know, we're watching another one right now. The uh, Wild are down one nothing to the L.A. Kings through 20 minutes. Okay, time now for J.D.'s Manifesto. Why you bugging? What's bugging J.D. this week? Let's find out. It's the Manifesto with J.D. Burke. This week, we're talking goaltending. It's become the topic du jour in Vancouver, particularly as Jacob Markstrom nurses a knee injury which required, as we have since learned, a minor operation. The expectation, of course, is that Jacob Markstrom is going to return to the fold in time for the playoffs, assuming that the Canucks can stabilize and get to that point. But that's not an assumption that anyone holds anymore. It's not something that we take for granted. It's not a given. The big reason for that? Well, the Canucks aren't getting saves to the extent that they used to. Since Jacob Markstrom went down with injury, the Canucks have the 8th worst save percentage at 5-on-5 in the NHL, a 90.55 clip, with Thatcher Demko mostly carrying the load, save for one appearance from the recently acquired Louis Domingue. Now, this has caused all sorts of drama in the Canucks nation, as fans frustrated with the recent slide direct their anger towards one Thatcher Demko, they direct their anger towards one Louis Domingue, and I, don't, I just don't think that's very productive. Now, you look at this Canucks team. Not many NHL franchises are going to win when they're getting 
save percentage at five on five. You know what else? Not many teams in the NHL are going to win hockey games when they are generating a Corsi 4 percentage that is dead last since February. Dead last. What you are observing at this moment is a team where the chickens are coming home to roost. You can't expect to be a robust, durable franchise, one that is capable of not only going to the playoffs, but perhaps winning a round or two to get by when you're getting dominated to that extent, whether it's shots for, goals for, unblocked shots for, expected goals for. Look, the signs are grim. This has also thrust some responsibility onto Travis Green, but he is not the subject of this manifesto. If you want to hear my commentary on that, you're going to have to go to TSN's Twitter account where they have posted my interview from Friday twice. It's really good stuff. Now, Thatcher Demko is a young goaltender. In fact, he's the goaltender of the future. He was determined that when the Canucks drafted him 36 overall in the 2014 draft. He's 24 years old now. This is his first season as a full-time backup. And yeah, the pressure seems to be getting to him. Most of these goals that we've seen him surrender aren't the type where he, he you know, they aren't reflex, reflexive saves. They're the ones where he has a moment to think. The ones where he has a moment to get set. The one where he has a moment to get in his own head. And that's going to happen. He's a 24-year-old. Look at where Jacob Markstrom was this time in his career. Putting together one of the worst save percentages of the behind-the-net era with the Florida Panthers. Thatcher Demko, I think, has stabilized, and I also tend to believe that some of the commentary surrounding his performances in net have been exaggerated to a great extent. I mean, you look at some of these games. The Arizona loss, he had a 923 in that one. The Montreal win, he had a 925. Against Colorado, a 906. That is three games out of the seven that he has played where he has put in an average or better save percentage. If you want to blame anyone for the Canucks losing, it's not Thatcher Demko. It's not Travis Green. It's the person who assembled a roster that has a fourth line that is making upwards of $12 million. A fourth line with no parts that don't belong there. In fact, the only argument one might make is that they don't belong in the NHL at all. Your anger, it isn't misguided. It's misdirected. And that is the manifesto. I love it. Good stuff. I mean, but the problem it's is, It's always though, good stuff. Yeah. Be humble. Just be humble for once in your life. Why would I lie? Okay. But you're right, though. The roster construction, is, it, we, we've been down this road many times. Jim mm-hmm. Benning, the fourth line, the amount that fourth line gets paid. One thing that I have to f- want to focus on a bit, though, is the defense, though. Shouldn't, shouldn't the defense be owning some of the, you know, brunt of the losses that built up there with the four in a row i i actually think that they've put together some of their better defensive performances of the year but i think that's more indicative of what a a terrible season they're having defensively but like the the troy stetcher off the skate bounce people oh it's a bad bounce no it's not it's poorly played by stetcher in that regard yeah yeah absolutely right i mean and then you 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 know comes right out in front your goaltender's hung out to dry at that point yeah and i'm not putting this all on troy stetcher i'm actually i'm a fan of troy from richmond but I'm just saying that they're... Canucks' best right shot defenseman. The, the defense needs to own some of this right now. Now, that, maybe this comes back to roster construction as well. You know, there are some people, that, and I've, I've seen a, a few people say that Tyler Myers is going to be the next Louis Erickson in terms of the contract that's going to hang over people's head. Now He's uh, off to a much better start I'm reluctant to go down that road. I am. But I'm saying that there are pieces in place right now 
that are a bit of a head scratcher. Now, yeah. also, Craig Button's of the opinion that Brogan Rafferty can play in the NHL right now. I, I, I would say that he's worth exploring that option. Why would you not want to explore it right now? Why not well, see who, going who, into who the playoffs? Who can he supplant? Jordy Ben. On, on where? Like, Jordy Ben is barely, like, he's the seventh defenseman. Okay, then put him in over Fantenberg for a night, although Fantenberg's... Fantenberg's a lefty. Uh, yeah. There's just no room for... Well, for I mean, I, I, heard analysis, I heard analysis this week, not from this station, but I'm sure you can figure out, that told me that if an NHL defenseman can't play on both sides, he has no business playing in the NHL, which made me go, really? Did they not watch Alexander Edler... In the John Tortorella year? Yeah. So I disagree with that statement. Don't get me wrong. Or maybe the TV was positioned uh, <laughs> in such a way. <laughs> could be. Never could mind. Be. Uh, a little veiled there, but could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that. Uh, no, it, it does matter. I, I think that it doesn't matter. Well, sorry. The extent to which it matters is different on a case-by-case basis. You know, for example, Mikhail Sergachev, who I advocated for in the 2016 draft, he can play the right side. Mm-hmm. A lot of these Russians actually can play the right side, and, and they end up they end up doing it almost out of necessity. I remember I was covering the Five Nations tournament in December, and they had six left shot defensemen. Wow! <laughs> it was just like, well, what are you going to do? But uh, no, it it does matter for a lot of defensemen, and I think that all you have to do is look at what Alexander Edler did when he was thrust onto the right side, as opposed to what he has done since. Yeah. I'm just saying that uh, as you make this run into the playoffs, I mean, you want to put the best roster that you can forward, wondering if maybe a shot for Brogan Rafferty just to see what you got is worthwhile. But maybe there's the argument that just the seasoning down in the AHL is the best thing for him right now. Like, I just don't see, like, the, the impetus for that decision. Sure. Like, even if he is NHL ready, what are the odds he's better than Troy Stetcher? Well, not great. Yeah. What are the odds he's better than Tyler Myers? Not great. Yeah. And, I mean, maybe Chris Tanev. I think that Chris Tanev low-key has been the weak link on that that right side. Very but, f- but, again, you're not going to sit Chris Tanev. No, absolutely not. Uh, very few are better than Harmon Dial. And Harmon Dial is coming up next here on Rinkwide. So keep it locked. It's the show that always scores right here on TS. Now, more of Rick Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Watton. What the hell are we listening to? It's Lou Reed. What do you mean, what the hell are we listening to? Lou Reed for bridge music? Pump people up? I feel like I'm at a funeral. Oh, my God. That is the... Pump people up is a hockey show. that's, That's infant mentality. That is a perfect song for a perfect it's day. It's not. No. Yes, it is. No. It's not. Hit me up in the inbox right now, 104040, live at tsn1040.ca. Like, I'm going to go to sleep here. What well, is this? Well, the song is about something that might oh, put okay. one to oh, sleep. Awesome. <laughs> Even better. Okay, Jay, I don't know. JD's cut off on the bridge music. Uh, welcome back to Rinkwide, guys. It's the show that... There we go. Playoff atmosphere. <laughs> That's more like a croaker. That a jet. That a boy. I'm in the wrong industry. Yeah, you are. A lot of people have told you that over the years, but uh, you continue to do it. And I'm like a cockroach. You can't kill me. That is definitely correct. Uh, (laughs) It's the show that always scores here, rink-wide. Andrew Wadden here with uh, J.D. Burke. I'm not supposed to say uh, myself, Andrew Wadden. I've been told that. Yourself, Andrew Wadden. Yeah, people are like, why do you say you're here with... Yeah, anyway. Uh, I'm sorry J.D. is right. Hassan and Burnaby. 
then he said, just bugging you, Wadden. So I don't know what side of the fence he's on, but... I, I actually spoke to Hassan recently, and he told me specifically that he is a huge fan of Lou Reed, uh, particularly the album lies. Berlin. Lies. All lies. Hassan's, uh, Hassan's my guy. No, no. He's a big fan of the Velvet Underground, too, which was Lou Reed's first project. He is a Sakaris and Price lifer. We, 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 we got him back on Take 5 Thursdays. He's a juror with us. He, he walks with it in our circles, not yours. Uh, Herman Dial's going to join oh, us. Word, it's like that. Just a moment. <laughs> yeah, of course it's like that. It's like that. Uh, okay. From the Athletic in Vancouver, get uh, oh well his perspective on the way things have gone for the Canucks over the last little while. Of course, the four losses in a row, big win last night over the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, JD, uh, one thing that really stood out, and I know Jeff Patterson talked about it in his takeaways after the game, but man, they really held Nathan McKinnon down last night and. You know, the first period was ridiculous. Stay out of the inbox. Stop looking at it. Uh, <laughs> I like the Lou Reed. Was impressed. Uh, <laughs> and also, please don't let little Castro have any say in the music. Pat and Steve. Thank you, Pat and Steve. I might actually well, be going back. Little Castro. I yeah, like that. Yeah, no, that's creative. LC. I might actually be going back to Cuba next September. So Yeah, stay there while you're at it. Uh, okay, so <laughs> the, uh, the ideological are a- training able to shut down relatively uh nathan mckinnon he had his two assists he had his 12 shot attempts uh on goal but the the rest of the but that first period was interesting the, you know the Canucks are able to escape with a 2-1 lead at that point but they really changed their game plan after that first period and of course it worked out for them yeah yeah it was it was interesting i mean there were a couple moments there where you're white knuckling and you're kind of worried because again those those soft goals that thatcher demko is letting in they're all the ones that he has time to think before Right, And you look at some of the reflexive saves that he was making, particularly the one on the two-on-one rush play, when he sticks out the leg to kind of get that, that skate save, that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the way that the Canucks played, I think they played true to their system, which is they opened things up a bit. But and they didn't get, like the first period. You're like, oh my god, Demko's going to get shelled here in terms yeah, of the yeah, amount yeah. of the yeah, rubber absolutely. he's going to see, and and they were able to sort of flip the script, so to speak, through the rest yep. of the game. Yeah, and they did that by playing their system. I yeah. thought, I thought that they did that by opening up the neutral zone and and creating some speed and pace with their offensive attack, and it kind of goes to what we were talking about a few weeks ago, which is that the Canucks have to stay true to their identity. Things don't seem to work out for this team when they try to play a shutdown brand of key. It doesn't come naturally to them, and it's certainly not going to come you naturally. You horses up front to do that as well. Yeah. Well, at the very least in their top six. That's I don't what know I mean. about the rest of the team. So. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I'm, I don't want Elias Pettersson going Although, out there and blocking shots. You know, What like, a performance by Adam Gaudet. That was well, truly special. I, I mean, was going to get to that. Uh, Gaudet, fantastic effort from him. I thought Roussel had a great game last night as well. Uh, Zach McEwen goes without saying. Guy plays like, what, seven minutes and change, gets two goals. Did you see the hats get thrown on the ice yeah, yeah, in yeah. the second goal? I was a like, maritime I was like trick. wait a second, did I miss something here? Was Corey in the crowd? <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, That's right. Uh, Corey Hergott, uh, our, a good friend of ours uh, from Canucks Army, Utica Comets uh, reporter. He's, he's a big fan of the big fella. And, and rightfully fella so. fella of inordinate size. And rightfully so, though, the big fella uh, doing work and hey, listen, Jim Benning came out and said, Zach McEwen's an NHL player now. So, you know, expect him to stay in the lineup. You like to see this sort of thing. Uh, Let's bring Harmon into the conversation, though. Uh, Harm, what were your takeaways uh, from last night? In particular, you know, the play of Zach McEwen, Adam Gaudet, Antoine Roussel. It it was excellent to see. And I think for this Canucks team to really make make the most of this stretch drive, they're going to need contributions from everybody. And, I think what we've seen a constant throughout the year has been 
Um, you're always going to have that top line with Elias Pedersen and, and JT Miller and now Tyler Toffoli clicking. But it's really about lines th- two through four. Uh, that's going to dictate whether or not the Canucks can uh, make the playoffs or not. Because in, in times when when they go through rough patches, what you'll notice is that the, the difference between you look at some of the numbers with Pedersen on the ice versus when he's off the ice is a proxy of, of the first line versus all other lines. And there were, it, it can get really ugly at times. And it was a huge problem last year where the bottom six was outscored uh, by a two-to-one margin. So to see contributions from the likes of McEwen, Goddard, Roussel, it's exactly what the Canucks need. And in particular, it's really important to see that third line clicking because uh, I think what we've seen this year is a changing of the guard. In years past, we've had Brandon Sutter in that third line capacity and uh, and, and we've had three checking lines, and I think Travis Green has made a concerted effort to give Goddard the reins and, and allow that to be a sheltered scoring group. And when you can, when, when they can take advantage of the soft underbelly of other teams, like they did against the Avalanche uh, last night, then then that's exactly what they're going to need because the whole game plan. You look at what Travis Green is trying to do. He's taking his his second line, the Bo Horvat. One and he's trying his best to neutralize the other team's best players. Well, that strategy only works if your other lines are, are, are thereafter able to, to, to take advantage uh, of some of the softer competition, and that's what uh, the Canucks are going to need uh, from the players that stepped up last night. Harmon, I wanted to ask you about a recent article you wrote. It's, it's the Dial Files, where you kind of break down some of the pertinent storylines to the Canucks, and you do it, I believe, once a week on the Athletic Vancouver now, I don't want to call you Judas, I don't want to go that far, but you've taken Thomas Drance's side in the Tyler Myers debate, a feud that's been going on all year, and did I take it personally? Yes. But am I willing to hear you <laughs> out? Also, yes. Does anybody care? The floor, no. The floor is yours. Okay, so I think this is, with Myers, you can understand why he's polarizing, because he does make very loud mistakes at times. It's not... Um, and I'm sure Wadden will sort of understand this analogy. It's almost similar to me, um, the Myers situation this year, as Jake Gardner in years past with Toronto, because when you look at Myers' underlying profile, you'll notice that he's driving play really well. He's decisively tilting the ice in the Canucks' favor when he steps over the boards. Um, the team spends more of its time in the offensive end. Uh, they drive a lot, a lot, a lot uh, greater share of the scoring chances. And it's because Myers moves the puck up the ice really well. And yes, of course, he has defensive he, he has defensive flaws. Um, his gap control through the neutral zone, all those things. I completely see those flaws in his game. But in my opinion, when you contrast the pros and the cons, I think he's doing a lot more good than he is bad. And, and if this was a case where, let's say, he's driving solid underlines, but he's getting outscored significantly at five on five, then perhaps you could make the case that uh, this is a player who's going to underperform his shot metrics because of the mistakes he makes, but he's right in the middle of the, of the, of the pack as far as the Canucks is back and an actual goal share as well. Um, and so in my opinion, when you take those factors into account and, and what I said was he's been the Canucks best right shot defenseman. And I think what people sometimes forget is for one, I think, Chris Tanev at this stage in his career for as good as he uh, has been, I think he's more of a, a number four five on, on, a, on an upper echelon contending team. And I think what Quinn Hughes has been able to accomplish throughout um, his rookie season has masked a lot of the declining transition 
transitional skills that uh, Tanev used to be able to possess. So I think, in my opinion, especially when you contrast the results when Hughes plays with Myers and Tanev, um, and, and what Myers has, has done under, I mean, he's playing on the third pair now, but you look at his overall workload and the quality of competition he's, he's faced, he's still, he's still been one of the Canucks' top four defensemen. And um, in my opinion, he's been a solid number four um, for the time being. And, and obviously, um, I'm sure you and I won't differ much when it comes to the, the long-term projection of this contract. But in the here and now, I think he's doing a lot more good than he is harm. Well, here's where I'm going to push back, and I hope that the people listening to this realize that this isn't necessarily me uh, debating the opinion that Tyler Myers has been value-added to this Canucks blue line. He's performed far better than even I anticipated this season. But you know who else has played even better than Tyler Myers? Troy from Richmond. And here's what I'm bringing to you in this debate, because I know you use some of the modern analytics as opposed to the other Myers warrior who only uses plus-minus. Right, You look at his goals above replacement, you look at his isolated threat metric, you look at his expected goals above replacement, it's Troy Stetcher at the top on that right side. Uh, I mean, wh- wh- where do you stand on that? I can see the argument, but on the other hand, I think it's really important to consider the, the quality of, of teammates um, and, and, sort of, and, and sort of who he's sort of played with, and I know you reference isolated threat. I just personally feel that that sometimes doesn't fully account for it. I think you look at Myers and and sort of how he's been deployed the last 20 games. He's had to play alongside Oscar Fantenberg. And you look at Fantenberg's underlying profile, and he's been one of the NHL's worst defensemen this year um, in helping control shot attempts, scoring chances, all those um, important things that we tend to look at. And then you look at Stetcher, on the other hand, um, he started the year with Jordy Ben, but uh, in more recent times, he's played against, he's played alongside uh, Alex Edler. And I think when you compare sort of the quality of competition that both those pairs have faced, I think they're relatively even. So I think a lot of the differences may just be in the fact that Stetcher's playing with a far superior partner. Um, and having said that, I, th- I honestly think in... And my opinion of it would be that Stetcher and Myers more or less have been pretty similar. I just give Myers the the leg up because he's had to play um, in tougher circumstances. I think that sort of swings the pendulum in in his direction. But I certainly have time for for your argument. We're talking to Harmon Dow from The Athletic in Vancouver. uh, Covers the Canucks, of course. Uh, Harm. Uh, Chris Tanov, I mean, just a warrior effort last night. I mean, blocking shots, uh, getting in scraps, you know, opening up the uh, gash that was on his ear. I mean, I think there's a, a, a Tanov ears uh, Twitter account now that's going around. I got to um, follow. I got to follow yesterday yeah. too. That's I shouldn't say. I think I know. Um, but you know, you look at Tanov, and I mean, it's a simple question in terms of how important is he to the Canucks, but also like, can they afford to lose? Chris Tanov right now because there's some people that'll say well you look at the metrics and they're starting to decrease but then there's the other people that'll say but look at how good he's been for the development of Quinn Hughes so you know when they look at things at the end of the season here you know can they afford to lose Chris Tanov it, yeah it's, it's a very interesting question I just think that given the season Tanov has had from an outside perspective and uh, you consider the fact that he's been healthy and 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 just the, the the point totals he's put up, the minutes he's played. I don't think the Canucks are in a position where they can they can afford the big ticket that he's going to command. Because you look at 
Uh, for instance, last offseason, you have Anton Strollman. Strollman was older. He played in the last games. He had a less impressive season. And he got five and a half per year times three seasons. And you talk about how much, how much more would Tanev get than that? And in my opinion, that's where things uh, really start to become dangerous for the Canucks. And, um, and, and the one thing, and I highlighted this uh, a couple days ago, is when you do look at the underlying numbers, the, the one thing that you'll notice is that the, the shutdown pair quietly hasn't been as effective in the last 20 games as it had been previously. So, um, and I'm just referencing uh, re- referencing the last 20 games. You see the Hughes-Tanev pair has, has permitted uh, more than 35 shots on goal per 60 minutes. Um, Tanev, as far as, uh, as far as the Canucks blue line is concerned, the highest expected goals against rate, the highest rate of scoring chances against, and you and he's been on the ice for the most goals against in this stretch. So I think what what you're quietly seeing seeing is um, maybe a little bit of I wouldn't say a decline in his game because um, we saw a lot of those same indicators last year, but he's he, Tanev isn't the same uh, elite defensive defenseman the the, the bonafide number two three uh, on a contending team that he was before again i think he's a very useful number four five i think in an ideal circumstance i think he's still an integral member of this team but given the type of contract that he's going to command in free agency i just don't think that they can uh, afford to extend him particularly when you do consider his age and his injury history i only think his game is, is going to continue to deteriorate uh, over the next uh, three or four seasons. Yeah, and I'm looking at that uh, s- uh, salary cap going into next year, I mean, even if things go as high as 88, you're you're looking at 24 million dollars, and there's a lot of guys to sign. You can't afford to have a six million dollar defenseman in your third pairing, at least perhaps even two, if you look at uh, we consider Myers as well. JD, yeah, I wanted to shift gears here a bit, and you know, I, I think after the performance he had last night, he deserves a little bit of. Uh, commentary on the radio, and that would be, of course, Adam Gaudet. I thought that was his best performance of the season, played a pivotal role in one of the uh, Antoine Roussel goals, and I I just really think that we're starting to see a player come into his own. Where do you stand in your analysis of Adam Gaudet, what he can be for the Canucks as they move forward? Yeah, it's. I I think Gaudet's progression has really been, I think, one of the quiet... um, Quite most important stories, really, because uh, one of the big questions heading into the season was, are the Canucks going to have a capable third-line center um, this season? And now you look, Gaudet is on pace for, is on pace, I mean, uh, on a per-82 game basis, 46 points. Like, that is, he's exceeded all expectations offensively, and I think when you watch him play, you can see a player who's much more comfortable and confident carrying the puck. I mean, the, the play that he had last night uh, where he's taking the puck out of the corner, little shimmy shake, stutter step, cut back. I mean, you, you just see a player that oozes confidence and he's taking the next step when it comes to his vision and keeping his head up and, and knowing where his teammates are on the ice. I've, I've been really impressed by his playmaking. And in my opinion, that's a big reason why he's taking the next step because he's, al- he's always had that good shot and uh, we've seen the value of that on the second power play unit, but his ability to uh, distribute the puck has been, it, it's night and day compared to last year. And um, when you consider how well he's performed away, away from possession as well, just as far as, the, uh, just as far as 
uh, defensively, um, back-checking, his ability ability to win uh, win board battles, a lot of those small details. I think he's still got a, a, a lot of room for improvement in those areas, but um, he's taking huge strides compared to last season, and, and the Canucks are going to need that because uh, he could be the type of player. He, he's up for, for um, contract renewal this season, but if you can get 3C value out of uh, a young player who you could probably lock up for cheap value, then that's going to be huge uh, for this Canucks roster because if Goddard um, isn't the, the type of third-line center that can sort of um, carry a playoff team, then the Canucks are going to be in a big, uh, in, in a big hole and they're going to have uh, some difficulties filling that position. But I, I have full faith right now in, in Goddard that uh, he can continue to take um, to, 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 to take the strides that he's shown this year and really mature and blossom into uh, the type of center he uh, uh, he, he projected to, to be when, when he had that outstanding season in, in the NCAA. Aharm, great stuff as usual. Uh, enjoy the game tomorrow. Going to be an interesting atmosphere uh, for you as this coronavirus uh, starts to uh, take a hold of North American uh, sports leagues, and uh, we'll see... Uh, how things affect the Canucks, or if there is any effect at all uh, tomorrow. But uh, enjoy the game, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, later on. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Harmon Dowden ending on a light note. The athlete. Well, no, it's. No, just, I know. I, I mean, know. hey, it could be right. Like they yeah. could be there tomorrow and not not even able to, you know, go face to face with the players. Who knows? I want to uh, address something. We only got about a couple minutes. We got Aaron uh, Portsline from the Athletic in Columbus coming up. Uh, this is from Chris in the inbox. Chris, and this is some EA Sports type stuff. Um, fellas, in a perfect world, Canucks can move Berchi, Sutter, Erickson. Should they sign Tanov at $5 million? That's not happening. It's going to be more than that. Over five years. Five years? I wouldn't sign him Whoa. at $5 million for one year. Yeah. Or Petrangelo at 7.5 over 7. Like, Petrangelo, his number starts at 9. Easy. I, yeah, I could see that. Easy. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Like he's going to be highly in demand. Like Chris, I'm sorry. Like in a perfect world, I know how you started it off like that, but like that ain't happening. Who's taking Berchi? Who's taking Sutter? And who's taking Erickson? I think the Canucks can move Berchi if they retain salary in the offseason. Again, but that, but I but you got to retain salary. They're also they're going to be buying out Sutter. I think. Again, I think more salary to, that's yeah. coming back on the book. So I just don't see how that all, all fits. Also, this one's unsigned, and it, it's a good question, boys. Sign your text. Yeah. Uh, boys, what have been, what has Ben done to uh, be in the doghouse? Is Fantenberg that much better than him? It's that's a legit question. Yeah, that's perfectly reasonable. But I think it's because they are pretty interchangeable between the two of them. I I, but, I would say yes and no. Like I thought that like Ben's season to start was decent. Yeah, and then was, he kind of fell off a little bit. It was okay. I I think that he had his best game when he actually had to step in for Myers on the right side. Yeah. Which is what a lot of people out east said. <laughs> they, they all said, you, said it. <laughs> they said you got to play him on the right side. Yeah, which is weird because apparently you can't. A- anyway, <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought that was his best game. If I'm being genuine. Oh, by the way, I think I read Hassan and Burnaby's text wrong. I th- I thought he was agreeing with you, but he actually took a shot at me and said, "I'm sorry, JD Wadden is right for once," and then he said, "Just bugging." So I was right about the Lou Reed thing. Yeah, but we got another text. Oh, here we go. I like the Lou Reed. Was impressed, Transformer, and that's the album that was off of. So thank you for the the vote of confidence, and I think you're gonna like the next song. No, we're not. I switched it. No, you're. Yep. I had I had a a member of the group that is coming up next that texted me and said, and I said, okay, we're gonna play your your music next. Was it the ghost of Kurt Cobain? 
No, it's not. And by the way, I saw Nirvana in concert. I know you're jealous. All right, <laughs> and I'm old. All right, coming up yeah, next, Aaron Portsline uh, from the the Athletic in Columbus. We're going to get the Columbus Blue Jackets side of things on the other side. It's drink wide. It's a show that always scores. TSN 1040. Now more of Rick Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Watton. Welcome back to Rink Wide, the show that always scores. Andrew Wad and J.D. Burke here with you. You're listening to the matinee. Want to give uh, props to the guys at the matinee. Friends of the show. Friends of the show. Friends of the station. They got a new uh, couple of songs up on their SoundCloud. I'm assuming that's going to be a new album, but... Uh, fans of the matinee head over to their soundcloud uh, check out their new stuff local band here doing good and they love them some sports talk radio and love them some hockey as does aaron Portsline from the athletic in columbus uh, covering the columbus blue jackets and uh, aaron uh quite the season for the blue jackets this year they're keeping themselves in the hunt they have been beat up worse than well, anyone that faced Mike Tyson back in the day, uh, but yet they still seem to be able to keep themselves afloat, although going through a pretty stu- tough stretch here right now. Uh, what's the latest here with the Blue Jackets as they face off against the Oilers tonight? Please don't tell me they had three or four more guys go down because I don't think they can afford it. Well, you know, a guy from Columbus actually did okay against Mike Tyson one, t- one time back in the day. Was, that, was Buster Douglas from Columbus? He was, in fact, yeah. Wow. Well, there you yeah. go. Where you go? Heavyweight champion of the world. Um, no, just the one injury today. I say that slightly facetiously. Um, Ryan Murray, who played two games back following, I think he missed 34 with a back injury, uh, had his back tighten up on him at the end of the Calgary-Columbus game. So he is out tonight. Um, he has been fighting injuries his, pretty much his whole career. So Murray is out, New Navarra is back in. Uh, but, yeah, this team has been just absolutely riddled uh, with injuries. I, I At one point, you're looking at the lineup thinking, could they dress this in a preseason game and get away with it with the league And in terms of having eight veteran players in the lineup? Because it's been it's crazy. $30 million out of the lineup most nights. Well over 400 man games lost now, but they keep – chugging along and you keep looking at the standings and they're still somehow in the playoff picture. So, I wanted to ask you about the goaltending situation in Columbus because to me that is the most interesting storyline as it relates to this, this team this season. Uh, aside from, of course, the, the litany of injuries that we've already discussed. But I'm looking at this group right now and collectively they have a 913 save percentage, four points above the NHL average. This after letting Sergei Bobrovsky walk on one of the largest goaltender contracts in history and going forward with three goalies that combined for fewer than, or sorry, less than $3 million against the cap. How have they made it work? Right. Well, I think, you know, the name that, that we should go in order here, Yunus Corposalo is the name that probably not a lot of people well, familiar with that he was Bobrovsky's backup for three plus seasons in Columbus, and Bobrovsky would make sixty-five to seventy starts. So it was hard to get a good, clean read on how good Corpusalo could be. But there were times when Bobrovsky would be injured and miss a few weeks, and the more Corpusalo played, the better he looked. And this organization believed in Corpusalo and believed in him. I thought he could be an even better goaltender if he were given 
uh, solid and consistent playing time. That's been 100% accurate. He's been an all-star caliber goaltender, actually an all-star goaltender. He missed the the game only because of an injury, but he did, in fact, make the all-star game. The guy that's been um, a surprise to some, a revelation to many, is Elvis Merzlikens, who the Blue Jackets felt was NHL-ready. They would have liked him to play some AHL games maybe at the end of last year to start getting acclimated to the size uh, rinks here in North America. But he got off to a rough start, but when Corpusalo got injured and he got his turn, was absolutely lights out. Uh, played really at a Vezina-type level for more than a month. Just played fantastic. Now, he's missed some time with a concussion. I'm hearing he could be back to play tomorrow against the Canucks. Uh, no official word on that yet. But they, you know, those guys have played really well. I think it must be said, too, that this team has adopted a style of play uh, and certainly played it to the max when they were when they were playing really well, a 19-2 and five stretch uh, from early December to early February, where they just did not allow much at all. Uh, and there were nights where the goaltenders would make 30 saves, 25 saves, and some of them would be pretty darn good saves. But then there would be nights where you'd think, you know, that's a pretty good night for the goaltender there, or not even really a memorable save. Uh, because the play in front of them is just so organized, so controlled, so smart, so defensively sound. Uh, we're speaking to Aaron Portsline from The Athletic in Columbus. Uh, Aaron, everybody here very familiar with John Tortorella, though it was a short stint here with the Canucks, but he's been doing some great stuff since he's been with uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, and there's an argument that uh, he's got to be one of the candidates for the Jack Adams Award this year. Yeah, I would think so. I, mean, I think probably his competitor, in many people's eyes, uh, would be his friend Mike Sullivan, uh, also a former uh, Canucks coach in Pittsburgh who's had is, some significant injuries of their own, uh, and they continue to chug along in a playoff spot. Uh, you know, what's, what's so interesting about this team is they lost uh, Artemi Panarin, they lost Matt Duchesne, they lost Ryan Dezingle, they lost, as you mentioned, Sergei Bobrovsky. Putting all of that aside, there aren't too many teams that could overcome that from one season to the next. To lose Josh Anderson, who goes from 27 goals to one. Uh, to essentially lose Cam Atkinson, who had 41 goals last year. I think he's at 12 right now and has missed more than half of the games with an injury. To now be without Seth Jones. The fact that this team is not a lottery team, but still somehow a playoff team, is incredible, and they have played a, a style of play that, dare I say it, it's so tight, it's so cohesive. You have to give credit to the players, of course, but the way that the coaches have put this together and allowed them to play a style of play where it almost feels like the names on the sweaters don't matter uh, because it's just so well organized, uh, I think this might be one of John Tortorella's best coaching jobs. He's won two Jack Adams before. Uh, you'd have to convince me that he doesn't deserve a third one for the work he's done this year in Columbus. Well, I wanted to ask you about this season and how the Columbus Blue Jackets approached it philosophically. Because you look at last year, they go all in. They trade away virtually every prospect, I mean, except for maybe Merzlikens and, and Emil Bemstrom, who are both in the lineup this year. 
Uh, like, wh- where did they want to go with this year? Was it a reset season as they build towards the future? Did they see themselves as a team that could bounce back from this many losses and be a contender? Uh, or, or were they just willing to fight it out and see what happened? I mean, it, it's such an interesting storyline to me anyway, so I would love to hear your analysis. Yeah, well, if you remember back in the, in the trade deadline, Yarmo Kekalainen was almost defiant in his defending of going all in. If you remember, they, they weren't in the playoff spot. They were still on the outside of the playoffs looking in, and he still went all in. And you're, you're, you're thinking, as one person said at the time, He's gone. In, he's gone all in on on two pair. Like it's not like he's got a royal flush here, and he's still throwing it all in the middle of the table. Um, he defended it by saying, "You mentioned Bemstrom, uh, Merzlikens. There are others. Uh, Vladislav Gavrikov is a player who's been a big lift for them this year. Alexander Texier was a, a rookie uh, a prospect that they they would not trade. They're not going to." to move him. And there's there's still a few others on the way. Kekalainen had, had a level of faith in some of the close-to-the-NHL-level prospects, Eric Robinson's another, that I think a lot of people didn't understand who those players were or just didn't trust those players because they hadn't seen those players. I could be guilty of that as well. He defended those moves by saying, you don't know these prospects. Uh, and if if it's easy for you to say there's going to be a huge drop-off, but you don't know what's coming. Uh, and to an extent, he's been right. I, I think the fact, again, that this team is, is anywhere above water is remarkable. Um, but we've learned a lot about a number of players here in Columbus this season. Uh, Andrew Peak, young defenseman, looks like he can be a real player. Uh, Bemstrom's had some moments where he has really, really shown bright. Uh, Texier's been injured, of course, like so many other guys long-term, but he has had moments as well. And they still have some other guys that could be could be budding to the surface here soon to, to push them up and over. I think he wanted to do more this year at the trade deadline. I think the injuries uh, took away all of that opportunity. Uh, so he, I think there was a disappointment on his part. Um, but they have developed a sort of a chip on the shoulder here um, where – People count them out. I think at their own at their own uh, mistake, and and they can they can surprise you, and they continue to do that. Well, it's been a remarkable run so far for the uh, Blue Jackets. See if they can keep themselves uh, in the playoff race as things uh, heating up here in the last uh, few games of the season. Big one tonight, though, in Edmonton. And uh, listen, if the Columbus Blue Jackets want to do the Canucks a favor tonight, uh, they can beat the Oilers <laughs> in regulation as well. But, uh, uh, Aaron, appreciate you coming on. I know you've been on with us a few times over the uh, last couple of years, so I'll always appreciate it and enjoy the game tonight. Well, it's always a pleasure. Thanks, boys. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Aaron Portsline from The Athletic in Columbus. Yeah, I mean, he's the... We lean on Aaron uh, quite a bit when it comes to any talk, talk with the Blue Jackets. Um, quite quite an interesting team this year, though. I and mean, we went through all of it there. But John Tortorella, I mean, there there's a coach. Like, some people like to claim that, you know, coaching doesn't really factor in too much sometimes in terms of, you know, if you've got all these great players or whatnot, your team should be good. But when you start to lose your great players, that's when you really start to see how valuable your coach is. And in terms of Columbus... 
he might be the MVP this year. Worth every penny. <laughs> right? And I, I just, I keep coming back to this. I, I spoke to a, a mentor of mine, Shane Malloy. He works in scouting, yep. et cetera. You know Shane from back in the CKNW days. Yeah, he's 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 old. Yep. That's that's a good point, Andrew. <laughs> uh, no, he, he, we had a discussion about the Columbus Blue Jackets, and this was before the Kekalainen and Tortorella era actually started to bear fruit. Yeah. And I was saying that watching him in Vancouver, I thought he was done. I thought that Tortorella was toast. And really, it's such a fascinating storyline. You have to give the guy his due because he's reinvented himself. He has not been somebody who shows an antipathy towards analytics, which I appreciate, especially for somebody who's considered more of an old-school mind. Sure. He has a very open mind when it comes to that sort of thing. Yep. And all the power to him. I, I, I think that he's kind of... I don't want to say re- resuscitated his reputation or whatever, but I think it's he's a bit of a renaissance man. Yeah. And you look at the um, the moves they made as well. you got Gustav Nyquist having a nice season for them uh, in his first year uh, with Columbus. Pierre-Luc Dubois, some people questioned that draft pick. He's worked out quite well for them as well. And then, you know, you have players like uh, Cam Atchison that has, you know, been hurt this year. So uh, I think Columbus is in a good spot moving forward, and uh, we'll see if they can work their way into the playoffs once again this year. Uh, One more segment to go here on Rinkwide. We'll put a bow on the show on the other side, get you caught up on everything that's happening on the out-of-town scoreboard. This is Rinkwide, the show that always scores right here on TSN 1040. You're listening to Rinkwide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Wadden. Yeah, welcome back to Rinkwide. Andrew Watt and J.D. Burke here with you. One last segment to go in the show. I want to thank everybody who has chimed in in the inbox. Uh, great stuff from all of you guys here today. And, of course, from our guests that joined us, Danielle Huntley from Canucks Army, uh, the Botchford Project, uh, Harmon Dow, who's a regular here on the show, and, of course, uh, Aaron Portsline from The Athletic in Columbus, mm-hmm. who, anytime we need to go to Columbus, we always uh, go to Aaron because he's got yep. the goods Uh, For that, uh, some parting words here, uh, J.D. I know that uh, we did tell the people that uh, we're going to update them on the out-of-town scoreboard. Just one game in action right now, and it's good for the Canucks. 3-1. The L.A. Kings are leading the Minnesota Wild after 40 minutes of play. If you missed it earlier today, uh, Nashville topped Dallas. One buzz. Uh, Washington over Pittsburgh, 5-2. Carolina over uh, the New York Islanders, 3-2. That was an overtime game. However... Uh, the one that we do have our eyes on was the Nashville-Dallas game, and of course, this Minnesota and LA. Uh, with the win for Nashville, they move into a three-way tie, essentially, with the Canucks and Winnipeg with 76 points. Uh, and it's big right now because if Minnesota were to win today or come back and win, uh, they would leapfrog all those teams and move themselves into 77 points. So, uh, again... Love the scoreboard watching at this time of the year, and we're going to be doing some more of that tonight as well as the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, face off against the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, some parting words for you, Mr. Burke? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to, to let everyone know that if they like the program, uh, the best way that they can support it is to go on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and drop us a rating and a review. It really helps grow the program. Uh, it makes us more accessible to new listeners, and that's what we're all about, right? Yeah, and we we, and we appreciate everyone that uh, listens to the show live. But of course, uh, not we've got, everyone. We've got a big <laughs> I do. Uh, we've got a big podcast community as well, and uh, we appreciate everyone that uh, has rated and reviewed, downloaded the Some show. 
etc. That's another show for this week. Play the music, Mr. Croker. We're out of here. Rinkwide is back on your airwaves. Uh, next sa- Are you with us next Saturday, JD? Or I don't know. I You're- am. You are. Yeah, I Unfortunately, am. JD will be here next Saturday, as will I, Andrew Watt. And thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy the night off from the Canucks. Perhaps you're scoreboard watching. Whatever you're doing, have a good time doing it. And what the mode says, be safe out there. Be folks. safe out there. Have a great Saturday, everyone. Let's do some F-150 math.